and I've always wanted to go to Antarctica, but it hasn't been possible to cycle there. And people had tried, and that all failed fairly miserably. I, I'm not going to. I'm only going to get one shot at this, and I, I'm not going to fail. <laughs> Welcome to Art of Adventuring, the show about explorers and inspiring adventurers and the details behind their incredible journeys. They not only take us through their hardships and highlights, but also let us know what they have learned on these trips that has changed them and their everyday life. Hi, I'm Torben from the World Explorers Collective, and today with me is Kate Leeming, an Australian adventurer, explorer, professional athlete and endurance cyclist. She's biked basically anywhere in the world. She crossed Africa, she cycled in the Andes, she's been to Greenland and obviously she did a lot of endurance and extreme cycling trips in her home country, Australia, crossing the the deserts, the, the outback all by herself and, you know, just biking through the sand pushing through um, an extremely hostile environment. And today's episode is something unique in the way that when we've talked to Kate, she was just about to embark on her next adventure or better, the preparation for next adventure. Because now the big plan for Kate is to cycle across Antarctica. And it sounds absolutely crazy and to do that she actually needs a custom-made bike like a lot of special components that even allow her to ride that bike in these conditions and on that snow and in a couple of days time after we record the podcast she will actually go on a test trip to Antarctica just for a couple of days and you know just a few hundred kilometers of biking in Antarctica to see if her equipment and um, is actually working to see if all the things that she's she's planned are work on a working on a smaller scale. So we'll see how that works out. And I promise that by the end of the podcast, uh, I'll make sure to attach a, a little update. Um, because as this episode is released, Kate is back, and I will definitely let you know how that expedition went. But to understand why Kate is planning on crossing Antarctica by bike. We want to understand who she is and where this passion for biking came up because one of her first big trips was cycling through Russia and that was in 1992. So just after Russia actually opened up. So her passion for cycling has followed her now for over 30 years. So I guess, you know, I... I was sort of an all-round sports person, not specifically a cyclist. I used to just cycle for for my own you know, fitness for other sports. And then I always dreamed of being able to cycle in Europe. Um, and after university, I had a chance to go, well, to the UK first, playing hockey. And then after that, I did a little trip in Ireland. And then little trips led to bigger trips as I cycled through Europe. And uh, sort of within the space of that two years, I'd done about 15,000 kilometres through Europe, which is just my like personal um, discovery of, of, of Europe to sort of really understand how it all fits together. So kind of right through through, far, through through France, through the Mediterranean, all the way to Turkey. And then at that time there was the Balkans War, so I had to fly to Vienna and then I continued through Central Europe. So Austria, Southern Germany, Switzerland, uh, back to through Germany, uh, back to France. Um, yeah, so that was kind of the bit. And I've been up to the tip of Norway as well. So I'd, I'd done all these things and it was just like, that's where I really discovered my passion. Um, and I just loved the idea of bringing a line on a map to life, you know. And then I really just love how connected from a bike compared to a vehicle or, or whatever, um, how connected I was with the people in the land. And I just really love, it just gives a great sense of place and a perspective of how the world fits together. And that's kind of the sort of intrinsic reasons as to why I'd like to to, to travel by bike. Um, and then um, I met a guy called Robert Swan. He's a polar explorer. He's the first person to, to both the North and South Poles. And 
that's at a time when I was planning my first really big expedition, which was uh, across Russia. And I guess Robert really inspired me and he gave me a lot of confidence and he taught me that there was a, a lot more value to what I was doing than just simply riding a bike. So um, so basically everything that I've done since then, I've always sort of had other, you know, my adventures have had, have had other meanings as well. So the Russian expeditions, I'm the first woman to have cycled from St. Petersburg, St. Petersburg to Vladivostok, but I was also aiding uh, children affected by the Chernobyl disaster as well. So, um, so I sort of was equating uh, the two, and you know, it, um, the whole country was changing before our eyes. You know, it had been changing from, you know, it was the, the Soviet Union and then the CIS, and then suddenly they were all separate countries. And so this was like before that there was lots of closed parts of. Uh, uh, Russia or, or the Soviet Union, and, and here I was with an opportunity to actually cycle right across the whole, um, you know, the whole country. So, like, yeah. And just so to, from to put that into perspective, that was, um, if I'm not wrong, 1993 or 1994 in that area, yeah, right? When you did that, 93. Yeah. So it was just, honestly, it was the whole country was changing before our eyes. You know, so. You know, the price of a loaf of bread at the start of the journey in St. Petersburg was about the equivalent of seven cents Australian. Don't worry about the, the different currencies, but yeah. um, uh, by the time I got to the finish, it was about 40 cents Australian. So, you you know, you worked out that's that's massive inflation in five months. Um, and, you know, you had all these people who were just so friendly, emba embarrassingly friendly, actually. Wow. Um and and everywhere we went, you know, um, on on this route, you know, people would, would would put us up, and they would give us everything if we let them, um, and they didn't have very much. Um, yet they were, yeah, just 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 very hospitable, genuine people, um, and, and that was incredible. You know, you know, mentioned that you were so inspired by Rob to actually go on go on this trip and mm. to dare. And now thinking back, it was. You know, almost this 30 years, Russia was completely changing and was pretty much a white spot on the map. Probably Absolutely. today it still is. Well, you know, again. <laughs> again, maybe white spot. But so I think it's an interesting time to then to then com compare it that it, it wasn't only for you one of the first adventure into a bit uncharted territory, but it was, yeah, it's one of the, I mean, you were one of the first women, but you were definitely also one of the first like people especially from a from outside russia to venture that deep into that culture and 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 that country how how did it feel back at the time like both from an adventure perspective of just the endurance of these thousands of kilometers how did you prepare and also from a culture perspective what what did you know about russia or what to do or what not to do back then mm, so i had uh, i set it up quite quite well because you couldn't you couldn't get information um and I, and initially i started uh, connecting with russian cycling clubs so in the at the at the the uk um cycle touring associations they had a whole lot of sort of like like just just basically sheets it was before computers were used very much so mm. they were just like information sheets and i went down to to their headquarters and i just and i got um um sort of contact details of some of the different Russian cycling clubs. So initially what I did is I tried to see whether I could get a Russian cyclist to come with us for the whole journey. And then well, that would really help us sort of, because we didn't speak myself. I was, I was traveling uh, traveling with a British guy called uh, Greg, Greg Yeoman. Um, so um, we didn't speak Russian and, you know, I had a plan. I had US Air military maps, which the Russians couldn't get. And they're the only maps you could get. Um, but getting that inside information, how we, you know, you heard lots of things, you know, there were bandits, you know, you'd get robbed, you you know, there'd be all these problems. So I set it up actually through Robert Swan. He had a, um, in the end, um, Misha Malakov, who was like a, an amazing polar explorer, and he was setting himself up sort of post-communism for sort of the adventure industry. So I met Misha and Misha sort of took us under his wing and, Basically, I had a deal with his company called Centerpol. Mm -hmm. And I went over there a month before the journey was meant to start. And and we, we sort of just worked out a contract and a plan. 
that would really work through the whole of you know this massive country so basically i'd contacted some cyclists before and and a couple of those came on board and then some from misha's company came on board so we always had one russian cyclist with us for the whole way even if they didn't speak english even just having like vladimir the first guy just just coming along and he could just steer us away from any potential danger if it came to doing like changing uh, us dollars into into rubles then we just had really like small denominations and and our, our, um, our companions our cycling companions would do that for us <laughs> as well so um it kind of was a system that worked really well there were five different russian cyclists and we provided the funding and all that sort of thing and that is essentially how we avoided any any major issues you know but but also within russia like any russian who was cycling through their country they were treated like a hero so so all they had to do was turn up to the mayor's office in the center of town and and explain what they were doing and they would be put up looked after fed everything so we cottoned onto this <laughs> and so especially as we're going through siberia we we we'd always find a leader or someone prominent in the town and we we're always looked after so, so it worked really well wow uh, yeah and then the big part of this journey that was un, really unknown was in eastern siberia so there's an area about a thousand miles or or 1500 kilometers called the swamp mm-hmm. uh where there are basically no through roads there are little tracks for the people the villagers who live there but nothing going through apart from the railway line so what we had to do was follow the railway line as a way of navigating um and also like if 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 the little tracks beside the railway line went underwater we could just push our bikes along along the railway line and if there were you know you know bridges there were no bridges apart from the railway bridge so we'd wow. have to so you just had to that's how we had put, to cross <laughs> put, put put the ears on the on the iron listen well, if there's a train and then okay like... yes exactly um so there were two tracks and uh if a train was coming you, you like it would vibrate as well and you could but you also had to keep an eye out in both directions just when you're doing this um so the train drivers got to know us <laughs> we used to wave to them um it was safer because the, the sort of there's quite a few bears in that area in the in the taiga there as well in certain places so they don't they they would steer clear of the railway line because that's dangerous for them so it's, mm. it was safer for us and there were villages about every 30 kilometers uh 40 kilometers so we didn't really have to camp which was good it's wet and also there are bears it's not a good combination um so you know we got lost a couple of times when we ventured away that was quite exciting you can get ventured away from the railway line because following forestry tracks mm. yeah so we had a you know had to turn back and you know yeah because because the people in, who live in that area never traveled all the way through so they couldn't really give us great directions and they might say oh yes you can do this you can do that and that point us in the right in, in a direction and then slowly come to a dead end <laughs> so we had to ask them lots of questions like have you ever left your village how far have you gone um wow uh, you know just just extra questions not and then from that we could gauge how how true their information might be so you know there's lots of little things it's amazing when you travel how you can do that you, you, you just sort of have to adapt and find a way through and yeah we did you came back obviously well and well and sound from that um from that journey but that was then that wasn't really the, the the start for this is okay this is something big i can do more how did that happen how did how did, how did i go from, from from russia to to what happens next so um so basically from there i was based in the uk at that time so i went back there um i sort of you know it was it just took a long time for this whole um expedition to sort of put it into perspective um and sort of write about it and that kind of thing mm. uh, and then there was actually 10 years between that and my next major expedition because i actually discovered a sport called real tennis in the uk and i was just working in a health club just to get some money in london and then i discovered this sport and then i became 
very good at the sport. And so I was, was all of a sudden after two years, one of the top women. So I had to follow that adventure, which is a whole different thing. Um, but that took my focus to see how good I could get at that game. Yeah. And to be a professional in that sport is it's not big money or anything. So you, you need to be a part of a, a club. So like a, a little bit like a golf club professional where there's lots of specialist things we have to do. So that's what I still do as well. Um, I've sort of balanced both. Um, so then when I came back to Australia with the real tennis and then I I come from the West, but I had to move to Melbourne because that, that, that's where the main courts are in yeah. Australia. Yeah, there are not a lot of real tennis courts. No, no, no. It, it's, it's, it's not, yeah, it's a different sport than just tennis, right? Yeah, absolutely. Though. So without diverting too much, it's the original game of tennis. It's more complex. It's played indoors on a bigger court. We like to say it's a mix between tennis and squash and chess. Um, and then your audience is going to have to look it up. <laughs> um, um, but the Grand Slam is just the same. So they have the the the, the British Open, the French Open, uh, the Australian Open, and the and the US Open. So, and yeah. I've played in all of those. Um, so, um, so when I got back to Australia, I still really wanted to see how my country matched up with 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 you know what I'd seen of Russia and Europe, and. Uh, and I knew I'd changed, so my perspective of my own country had changed. And I hadn't really seen much about this uh, amazing country here. You know, I come from the southwest corner and I'd travelled to most of the cities just for uh, competitive sport. Mm. But that's it, really. Uh, a little, Quite a bit of Western Australia because that's where I come from. It's, it's a very big place. Um, so I organised the Great Australian Cycle Expedition. Uh, which was a 25,000-kilometre journey, so pretty much double the length of the Russian expedition, but within Australia. So if, if you went around the edge of Australia, like highway number one only, it would be about 4,000 kilometres. But but mine included like 7,000 kilometres of just of gravel, of off special tracks, off-road. Off, off mm. um, and so they were like the, going up to the tip of Cape York, the most northerly point, um, Crossing through the Tanami Desert to the Tanami Track, uh, the Gum Central Great Central Road and Gum Barrel Highway, which goes from from the middle, basically right across to, to the middle of Western Australia, and then the the really the thing that I'm quite noted for is being the first woman to cycle the Canning Stock Route, which is um, about 1,800 kilometres long, crosses about a, four deserts mm -hmm. and about a thousand sand dunes, and it's. Historically, it was never really used that much, but the idea was to originally to get cattle from uh, the Kimberley region in the north of Western Australia all the way down to the the railhead, rather than trying to send them around on a ship. And and it was just this it's, it's like a spiritual backbone of Australia, I think. Um, and I have like a, a, a great great uncle who reconditioned two thirds of the stock route in 1929, um, so I was following sort of in his footsteps and and he used to be a cyclist as well he was the second person to cycle across australia in 1897 to propose wow. to his sweetheart right and then wow luckily she said yes and he put her on a boat to come back around to western australia and then he cycled all the way back again and he used to have um used to to, to drove his cattle on a bicycle not a horse so so I was sort of following in his footsteps in, in different ways. And so that, that canning stock route was amazing, but it was really tough because I didn't have a fat bike. It was just before fat bikes uh, became popular. And so it was just my mountain bike. And, you know, uh, it was, yeah, really special. And a lot so, of just basically pu pushing through the sand, almost sand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it, there's yeah. a track. Like it's not a graded, most of it's not graded or some of it is now. Um, and there's basically water sources, wells every, uh, usually about 30 or 40 kilometres um, or so. Um, and that was the only part of that journey that was supported because I was on my own. And there's only one place where you, you could get supplies, which is about a thousand kilometres from the start. So it wasn't realistic for me on a normal bike to try to carry all of that stuff. Um, 
the fat bikes have changed the game a little bit and it's still like one of the toughest journeys people can do that that's known um so and also it's incredibly hot so um because i was doing this big journey i had to fit the timing of this in with um the seasons because mm-hmm. in the north soons in the south you know so basically it was a little bit late in the season so um like about uh, I think I started on the 23rd of September so already it was about the high 30s like 100 degrees Fahrenheit so so 37 38 Ooh, 39 wow. Celsius for the first couple of days and then it did not go below 40 you know so I'm trying to manage my day around cycling through 40 to 45 degrees Celsius um <laughs> so it's very early start and it's just not sustainable to to do that um you know get to 11 o'clock say in the morning and so i'd basically have to stop uh, for about four hours and i'd have to create shade if there was no usually there was no shade because there's just very low vegetation Mm. Um, and then sort of do a couple of hours and before it was dark essentially um but that sand is just it's red sand it's radiating heat and the hotter it gets the the more fluid the sand is as well so Early in the morning when it's cooler, the sand is a bit better. I can go a couple of kilometres an hour faster on it. So, again, you need the conditions. Yeah. How much, quote, fun was that versus how much was it just a, a, a massive physical and mental challenge? Oh, oh, no doubt it is a massive physical and mental challenge, but it was so interesting and And even though it's really, really hard, it was, when you say fun, it was just, I was into it. Like it was just, I I knew this is like a real privilege to do this stuff. And often when I, when I'm doing the the, the expeditions that I select to do, they're usually pretty, um, either they're original or they've got something pretty Mm. different about them. And that's one of the things that really motivates me is that just, just on the adventure side is that I just love this idea of being able to, do something that either someone hasn't you know it's it's breaking new ground anyway usually in some way shape or form and and you know i'm really aware of that and you know i I just go into a different mode where i'm sort of just yeah i mean i really know how to think positively and how to get mental strength is probably one of my yeah biggest strengths (laughs) um so uh and certainly there i was pushed um, and I just had to, you know, compartmentalize everything. Um, you know, having the wells, you know, every so often certainly gave, you know, little goals to get to as well. But then, you know, it got to the point where sometimes, like I had a, an incident where I was got dehydrated, must have been uh, day eight, I think it was. And because the vehicle wasn't with me most of the time. Hadn't caught me in the morning, and I, uh, it got to towards that really hot part of the day, and I'd run out of water. He, you know, normally he should have caught me before. So then I'm worried, <laughs> has he fallen off his vehicle when he's loading it or something? Anyway, so I got dehydrated, and the next couple of days, then I ended up with a urinary tract infection, and also it just really affected my me mentally. Um, so, you know, it becomes very hard to get this sort of very difficult to get through that um uh just to keep pushing in the, in this hot sand you know you sort of get tears a little bit and then i sort of went to another level in my um sort of mental approach and sort of mm. just really broke it down to just not even looking ahead because you look at the head the head in the little sandy desert it's just all these chaotic sand dunes not big sand dunes just really chaotic really soft so I just sort of sat down a little bit and just thought about it. And then I thought, okay, no, I'm fine. I just had to look just ahead of me because I have to focus on the sand anyway to get through. You can't just look up and glide along a road somewhere. So it just 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 entertained my mind and just, just you know, got to the top of the next sand dune and then got to the top of the next sand dune. And suddenly, you know, I've done quite a bit and I've, I've worked my way through that, that, that rough period. And, yeah, just, just keep just keep going i mean that was a day coming into uh crossing there's only one little sort of creek in the whole area in the whole 1800 kilometers called savory uh, savory creek and that runs into lake disappointment which is oh, wow. 
all the, the colonial explorers were trying to find a, an inland sea from different directions in Australia. And so one of the explorers basically discovered this and is really hoping to find this inland sea, which they never did, of course. Um, and so it was called Lake Disappointment. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> how encouraging. <laughs> yeah. So um but it's quite incredible. It's like just just this these big salt lakes and it's a bit of moisture just rising through the salt. So it looks like there's you know incredible mirages and oh the desert's so beautiful. So so I think one of the things that that taught me probably more than anything else and something that I use forever is is to really when you're really feeling down and low is to just make a conscious effort to look for the beauty in your surroundings so you can look at that desert and you can think of it as this you know god forsaken place and it's you know people die out there if you, you know you get lost it's very easy to get lost um and you can look at that place and you can think oh this is this is horrific or you can the desert's actually beautiful and it's pure and um uh, there's so many little finer details. So I'd always try to look for these finer details as well. And so, but I always just think if you look, if you choose to look uh, for the beauty in your surroundings, you will always get through. And something you can take away. I absolutely I always... agree. And I've heard it now from a few people, especially when they go through um, very exhausting stretches in their adventure mm. that at some point, even they know it before or during that journey, they describe what you just described, that they see now the beauty in the small things. They they, they see a little flower and that makes them happy, a, a certain reflection of light. And how, how good are you at keeping this mentality, which I think is an absolutely fan fantastic mentality um, to have in everyday life when, when you're not in these extreme moments, but you know, you're just stressed by missing the bus or these kind of little annoyances. So there's a long queue and, and, and so on. How, how good are you keeping this positive beauty mindset in everyday life? Um, I think, I think doing these expeditions really, you, you just change your perspective about what's really important anyway. So, you know, You see some people and they get really frustrated, you know, that's what road rage is, you know, I just, I never really have that. I mean, uh, so, yeah, I think that kind of changes things. So whether it's looking for the beauty in my surroundings or whether just take that a bit broader and say just putting this in perspective, and I think I can, that these journeys have really helped me do that. Um, it's also helped me, say, as a competitor on the real tennis court, because I, I, I sort of have to manage a knee injury anyway. And like, I, you know, I started doing the cycling before I became a real tennis pro. And when I got back from that Australian expedition, I then went, you know, went back into real tennis. You know, playing the final of the Australian Open. <sighs> Look, there was time. There was a because I'm the best player in this country. All all the competition wants to beat me, and and I have all this pressure on me to win. And I was playing the final. I think it was 2008 or the final of the Australian Open, and I was three love up in the first set, although there were tight games. And then I, I tore a, a, a calf muscle, what we call the monkey muscle, just a small mm. small muscle in the calf, which is not good. <laughs> mm. And um, so I had my five minutes timeout and got my, my, my calf really sort of bound up, bandaged up tightly to support it. I didn't give up. I thought, oh, I'll just give it a go, see how I go. And, you know, I lost the next game. And then I, I somehow just was became really clear headed and and I had to it was like the I was so sort of aware of my hands and exactly what they were doing and what I was trying exactly what I was trying to get, go um you know angle my racket to get the ball there to soften my hand it, it's it's a very highly skilled game and somehow I snuck the first set have you know so it got to five all in the first set and And I just didn't miss. I was just totally efficient. So you know, it was a great lesson to me. Um, and then I, I won the match with a, and I couldn't really, I couldn't put my heel on the ground. <laughs> so I had to, I had to adapt everything. And I think that, 
I attribute that 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 ability to win that match from those kind of experiences, like mm. like because that's what had happened in, in the not just the Canning Stock route. You know, I, I cycled. That was a twenty five thousand kilometer journey, a journey, which I did m- much of it on my own. Uh, and yeah, I just just I'm I can I can switch into that mode, you know much better so but but when it comes to something else like my other job <laughs> um i can use that and and it's just i can also use it in my teaching um as, as a coach um just for the average person you know they get all stressed they can't see the wood for the trees and it's just like oh hang on what are you focusing on and and just going back to focusing on finding something to focus on you know if i'm in between points i might focus on the strings of my racket for a second just really look at that and then be ready again so just find little techniques and and it's all related even though they're, they're totally different things <laughs> yeah yeah it's um it really comes back down to to focus and right and being being able to be in that moment and if if yeah if it's desert or if it's tennis and tennis you need to win the next point so there's no point in thinking about you know winning the set or and 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 so on and um yeah it's often what what distracts us and there's there's so many philosophical thoughts about you know you see the mountain and then the valley and and all these things and small mountains but it's it's always easier said than done right to to because it's, it's yes i i find yeah. it so easy to go into this it's so hard and oh this is, will never be happen why even try and mode versus versus this laser focus on okay i can can i do the next step yes i can do the next step and then you know once that is done okay now i can do also the next one it's it's so difficult to to actually get into that well i don't know I, you know for me each expedition i spend so much time before i even start to organize it in just creating the the idea and 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 the vision and i don't move until i'm really certain about the story that i want to create what I'm trying to do with it. So all of these objectives, all of these aims and goals are clear in my head first mm. and what I'm doing, why, how, all sort of thing. So so when it comes to executing the expedition, when times are really tough, you know, that's clear in my head. And, and you know, like in, in, the, in the next expedition across Africa, you know, I had a bit of a torrid time on the, at the base of the Sahara, you know, about five and a half thousand kilometers into that journey. And I still had 17,000 kilometers to go. And, you know, it really also helped to to picture um, like the finish in, in Somalia and, and imagine what it was like to go across those Somali plains and, and picture all those things up ahead of me that I'm looking forward to. And then working all the way back to where I need to get to in the end of the week or whatever it is, to the end of the day, to the end of the session, to the end of the hour, right through to right down mm. to getting similar to the sand dune idea, you know, getting to the top of the next hill, getting to the next pothole in the road or the next bush on the side of the road, whatever it is, you just occupy my mind all these things and break it up, even having a, like a, you know, a biscuit or, or, or sweet every five you know, every five kilometers or whatever, you know, I just break it up and, and that just really helps. All those techniques really help. But I think that, that helps, but, but there are, uh, each person has to find their own little techniques that help them. But I, I like also the idea that you said you, you put yourself already at the finish line and you imagine the feeling that you feel, okay, this is, this is why I'm doing this. This is, mm. The, the the big vision is there and you don't think about okay there's still so many obstacles along the way you just think okay i i want to be there this is why i'm doing it and then you break up the obstacles in, hmm. in smaller segments but see the end goal and you picture that have, in front of you if you don't have the end goal in mind like i'd be lost like like i need to have have you know have all of that um and then sure sometimes how you get there can change a little bit here and there and you have to adapt but just to be able to keep working to the, that same mission the whole time. And and also, you know, I have to work so hard to try to find sponsors. It's the hardest thing I do, not the expedition. Um, you know, I don't have money myself and it's, it's always a shoestring. And yeah. I have to be able to sell that expedition to people and, and they believe in it. So I've got all of that, you know, sponsors believing in it, they trust that I'm going to do it. They believe in the mission, 
Then I've got usually like an education programs and things. So the school kids are following it. I can't let them down. So you have all this backup. So I've actually created this. It's not just me. It's actually a whole much thing that's much bigger than me. And, you know, there's no way you're going to, you know, if I just stopped, what's the point of that? <laughs> it's like, it's like, even if you just. You, you cannot, you cannot even fathom so, that you would stop. Huh? It's a, of course you don't I've stop. I've never you... wanted to stop. Um, but I've had hard times, but it's, it's yeah. not that I'm considering quitting. Um, well, I actually have stopped once. It wasn't wasn't mentally because I broke my collarbone, <laughs> but but that's the only time I stopped, and I had to go back and finish that journey. So, um, no, I've never because it, because it's it's what I do. It's a privilege. I have to, you know, all all of those parts of the expedition. It's not just that moment. You've got to be able to think of the big picture and then focus mm -hmm. again. Big picture, focus. And now. We are in this uh, interesting situation that you were actually about to about to head off on another one of these um, great adventures. So maybe it's great to spend a few more few more minutes on that just to understand what exactly you're doing there because you are cycling across Antarctica, which sounds if you just bought it like that, absolutely <laughs> crazy. So, I mean, what yeah. what is that exactly about? Like, what 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 are you doing with a bike in Antarctica? Well, growing up, it wouldn't have been something that's possible. But actually, that 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 Canning Stock Group that I mentioned to you with the thousand sand dunes and 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 um, that kind of changed my mindset to to all the other things that I've been able to do, especially Africa next, um, and. Uh, Like I've always admired a lot of the uh, sort of hero explorers of the heroic age, whether they're polar explorers or uh, Australian explorers, and and I've always wanted to go to Antarctica, but it hasn't been possible to cycle there. And people had tried, and that all failed fairly miserably. But just with the advent of fat bikes, it seemed that it might be possible, and I kind of did get that. You know, looking out over Lake Disappointment, I was actually imagining that to be snow, not 45 degrees Celsius and with sort of mirages, um, you know, enshrouding the lake. So uh, that's sort of like, that's kind of where the germ of the idea sort of started to come. Well, okay, if there's a fat bike and fat bikes can do what I did much easier uh, on the Canning Stock Route, what about Antarctica? I reckon it could be possible, but... I come from a very hot climate and uh, I'm very comfortable in the heat. <laughs> I have had basically before this no polar experience at all. So the first things I had to do was think about uh, the bike and mm -hmm. trying to design that and also get some experience with people who really know um, uh, polar experience. So the, uh, the bike, um, obviously it's a fat bike. Um, but it's I, I discovered a, a guy in in the US who had made an all-wheel drive system. So it helps me pulls me up out of if I because if you're going through snow, same as sand, yeah, you hit a soft patch and you've got to power your way out of it. And this certainly that's the times when I feel I can get some some extra purchase, extra bit of grip. So it's not magic; it's still damned hard work. But but yeah. the idea of being able to stay on longer means in 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 that those extreme situations means I'm going to get there faster. So um, so anyway so so that was the bike the first one. So so Steve Cristini made the first one, the first ever of its kind, um, and put up to Svalbard, which is a Norwegian islands about roughly 80 degrees north. Um, yeah. And I took with me um, Australia's sort of most experienced, one of the world's most experienced polar guides, Eric Phillips. Um, and I took an amazing filmmaker, Claudio von Planter, whom people might know. He's quite famous for, for filming Neil McGregor and Charlie Borman's motorbike journeys, long way round, down and up. But he does a lot of other things too. And, and also a, a remote locations photographer and camera operator who's used to the Arctic. And so he was also helping to teach Claudio, who had never really filmed in the Arctic, and it's very specialist. So we all went up to Svalbard, Svalbard together, tested the bike, and it did get quite cold for a little, you know, down to about minus 30, which 
um, I've never been anything yeah. in any like it. And so I was just trying to learn, A, about the bike and whether it needed to be improved, which it did, but it had potential, and then also about clothing and how do I manage clothing, um, you know, because you're working really, really hard, much harder than, say, if you're skiing, you can manage your body temperature a bit more easily because you can just, you're standing, so you don't have to spend so much energy balancing and you can just slow down um, or speed up. But on a bike, if you slow down, you just fall off. So it's just trying to manage that sort of with with the wearing the right materials and the right layers and the right all of those things. So not that I had it perfectly down pat after the first one, but it was just learning a lot from Eric Phillips, who's amazing. Um, and then um, so that was the first one. Then the second one with feedback, Steve Christini built Fat Bike Number Two, which uh, I took Claudio and. Claudio and I went to Northeast Greenland. So I don't think anyone's had ridden there before. Um, uh, so again, it wasn't that they're not big distances. They were learning expeditions, uh, but it was very special. And each time I'm going, how the, how did I get here? It was like, I'm cycling on a frozen field, you know, in Northeast Greenland and going, and it's incredibly beautiful. Um, and some of it was like some of it I couldn't cycle as well. And then it was conditions. It was some things I had to learn. Um, yeah, but, you know, yeah, it was that was incredible. And then um, in 2017, I went to Arctic Canada. Um, so up uh, at the mouth of the Mackenzie River that, that, that feeds into the Arctic Ocean there, the Beaufort Sea. Um, and that actually a part of that journey, I was actually cycling across the, in the the Arctic Ocean, i.e. sort of the Beaufort Sea, um, and that was properly cold. That was that got to you know minus thirties with massive wind chill. Um, this and is really cold. Time, yeah, <laughs> um, and each time learning more um, about what to do and, and getting little ideas from different people. So really got yourself absolutely. Well, not absolutely, but as much as you can prepared for this trip. You not just have this crazy idea and jump out. You know roughly what you're getting yourself into there. Yes. And, you know, because it's got to be so expensive, you know, it has to be, for me, it has to be supported um, to do the kind of distance that I need to do in Antarctica. The minimum is about 1,800 kilometers. Um, it's a very long expedition. There's no way I could carry everything. Um for that uh and no one else really has well no one's cycled across the continent via the south pole uh omar the the italian guy omar felice i think he is yeah omar di felice i think he is tried this year he pulled out after a while but he, he thinks he's going to have another go he's trying to do it carrying everything and just getting a resupply at, at the south pole um i know for me I, I'm not gonna. I'm only gonna get one shot at this, and I, I'm not gonna fail. I'm gonna, and I don't mind if it's supported. That's fine, yeah. uh, because I want to be able to communicate. I want to be able to to have people around to film it correctly, uh, to make another TV series, to be able to um, run an education program, to be able to communicate with whoever, whomever. So, so that's what I've. That's the mm. best for me um, with what I want to do with the expedition as well. And yeah, I I don't think that I'm knowing what I know. I don't think it would be a good decision to just try to do it on my own. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, that costs a lot, <laughs> an yeah. awful lot. Of, and that's essentially the reason. That's really why I haven't done it yet. Um, so after uh, Canada, I still hadn't found the funds. So I, I I sort of started to embark on a bigger project I created breaking the cycle education, which is really just an initiative at the moment. Um, and it's really about, um, uh, inspiring and, 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 um, teaching sort of, uh, tomorrow's leaders. So it's, it's about, um, helping tomorrow's leaders cr to create informed decisions to make a better world. That's kind mm -hmm. of what I like. Um, so then what I did this, this sort of, this plan was to do a preparatory expedition on every continent for Antarctica. 
whether it be in polar conditions, whether it be in sand, which is very similar to cycling in snow, and the mindsets and all those kind of things are exactly the same, uh, or at altitude, because Antarctica, the, the peninsula, the, the plateau is around about 3,000 metres, and in the cold that even feels higher. So just to have a have experience of create of, of just spending an extended time in altitude was is also a good plan. So um yeah, but but also these expeditions that I, I I've done basically are, are, are just very credible journeys in their own right. So they're not just a preparatory expedition like say it's in Svalbard or Greenland. Mm-hmm. They're actually telling a story, they're actually pulling things together, they're actually creating learning opportunities. Um and and some of them have never been attempted before. You know, think, with a fat bike now, I can my 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 eyes have been opened as to what what might be possible. So sort of I'm sort of trying to push the boundaries a little bit. I mean, a couple of them. I love the sand expeditions that I've done. Them. Uh, so in Australia, the one in Australia was a sand expedition cycling down the river, the Fink River, which is potentially the oldest river in the world. Runs sort of um, through central Australia. It doesn't run, mm-hmm. there's no water. It's, all, it's just a sandy bed. The water flows underground. And occasionally, sometimes every few years, although in recent times they've had a couple of floods, so they've had, it's had a bit more flow, um, and just following this river through the heart of Australia. And, you know, it's really important in Indigenous culture as well. So it used to be like a, a trade route. So they used to follow, the Aboriginal people used to follow the, the mm, river as well. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so that one, and then also um, uh, Namibia. So I'm the first person to have cycled Namibia's entire coastline, the skeleton coast, many people would have heard of, and and in the Namib Desert. So from the Angolan border all the way to the South African border, and wow. like 800 kilometers. What, what, yeah, I was to say that's another one and a half thousand kilometers or something like that. Yeah, 1600 kilometers, of which half of it was. I'm pushing over sand dunes or I'm on the beach. And I actually chose to go from north to south because the, of the prevailing winds. So I was actually going into the wind to test my mindset for... Okay, the, 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 I would just yeah. say this is because you wanted to prepare for something bigger. Under, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that was the choice. And also I thought it created a better story going from north to south as well for different reasons. So... um yeah, that's one of the best expeditions I've ever done. <laughs> so, and we've created a TV series out of it called uh, Diamonds in the Sand, um, which has been available on Nat Geo Asia, on uh, Outside TV in the US. Um, CNBC have been showing it. And there's, there's been quite a lot of other broadcasters in Europe, so, uh, South America especially, um, just not in Australia and not in the UK yet, but Germany for sure. I can't remember the the broadcaster, but but it's it's out there. Yeah, we so that was, we, we uh, definitely look it up and and yeah, put it in there yeah. where where we can find yeah. it. Oh. Yeah. So so um yeah. So all of these smaller expeditions have actually been great. I've just last year completed my Andes expedition, which was I started and then COVID swept the world and I had to stop. So I returned to uh, La Paz in Bolivia and finished that. So that's four thousand four hundred kilometers altitude, serious altitude. Um, most of the time. Uh, so, yes, they're all trying to tell the story. They all have different purposes as well as the other purpose to prepare for Antarctica. And I guess I've diverted slightly, but the last expedition, last of the preparatory expeditions is the one I'm about to uh, leave uh, next week. Or well, actually this week I'm going next, this, yeah, so in four or five days' time. Um, so I'm planning to a smaller Antarctic expedition in Queen Maudland, which is due south of Africa, and working with um, a company called White Desert that's a luxury luxury travel company. And I'm not what I want to do is not their core business, but they're helping me anyway with some logistics mm-hmm. and, and, in fact, everything while I'm on, on in Antarctica. Um, so it's a 350 kilometres maximum route um they have two bases uh and one's at around about 1100 meters altitude uh where their blue ice runway is and the other one's at about 100 meters above sea level um and the idea is to do this uh route that they have they've got all the waypoints for it 
uh, between the two bases. So there's a couple of crevasse fields in there we have to avoid. Um, I have to be tethered to the vehicle, apparently. So oh. we're prepared for everything. <laughs> um, and But it's just, I mean, no one's ever cycled this or anything. So it's kind of like, we don't quite know, like, like the snow conditions because for, for someone driving, especially, they don't, or even if they're skiing, the things that stop them are, are quite different to what stops a bicycle. So, um, yeah, I don't, it's very hard to judge, you know, what kind of snow conditions I'm going to get, um, how bad the weather will be. You know, it could it'll only be down to about minus 20. So they say that's the coldest. So it's not horrifically cold, um, but it's going to be a great experience. Even if I never did anything else, any other Antarctic journey, if it, the other one didn't come off, this is just a brilliant thing to do. So, um I was just about to say, you know, uh, you know, you know, make it sound a little bit, yeah, this is a little bit uh, the the prep journey, but cycling 300 plus kilometers in Antarctica, that in itself is is probably an expedition of a lifetime for pretty much everyone else in 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 this world. Well, all expeditions are special, and I don't, have tr I you know, I, as I said, it's in, I, they've all got to be clear in my mind why I'm doing them. And why that, you know, why is each expedition special? So I have mm -hmm. to, I can't put the energy into it that I need to unless I have all of those things clear. Um, so, so yeah, that that's that's what builds resilience, I think. So, uh, yeah. When when are you leaving on the big trip? What's the plan? So the the big trip uh, is is obviously funding dependent, but it can only ever happen from mid November, December, and January. That's the that's the window each year. During the so, uh, during the summer in Antarctica. Yeah. So I need to find that funding quite a bit earlier. Like I'm usually trying the week the year before. Um so I've been around a few times, but I'm I'm keeping adding all these extra expeditions that I want to do anyway. So you know, if it's not Otherwise, I would have just done nothing for the last, you know, quite quite a few years. So I've been doing some pretty cool expeditions anyway. So, and I've got some more plans for bigger ones and so on and so forth. So, yeah, very very exciting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Kate, thank you so much for for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure to hear to hear your story, and I find it um, so incredible. So, how long you've already been on these? on these journeys and I, especially the, the Russian part that really fascinates me, how quickly you decided to, to venture out on these uncharted territories. And now from what we could hear, the, the trips you did may be deserts or ice, ice deserts. It's, it was always a bit this uncharted, this, you know, hmm. barely anyone has ever been there. Not, not, not because of, you know, you've been the first, but it's just such a unique experience in, in being hmm. in places that, that are not that well traveled that where you are a bit more on your own and uh, so many things can happen that in the beginning you might not be prepared for but then as we could hear you just uh i think you just build up so much resilience during these expeditions that bring you then to the point where you now feel ready to uh, cross cross antarctica which is still mind-blowing yeah. i think every little every journey changes me a little bit so and with that my perception of what's possible and yeah i just 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 think these things are very possible but but i also get a quite a thrill when you know you have an, a difficult expedition like like the skeleton coast mm. and, and how do you manage yourself how do you what's the system what are the systems you need to be able to get through this wild place and get through it safely and you know virtually all of my expeditions are finished on time um, or ahead of time, uh, you know, usually I have a, a limit. I can't just keep going on. Like my big yeah. African expedition finished four days ahead of schedule. Russia finished a day ahead of schedule after five months. Africa was yeah four days after 10 months. Australia was on time. So if I said the end of February, I got there. Um, and that Namibian, I did have a few, quite a few contingency days because we just didn't know what's going to happen, but I still got there six days early. So I could have, yeah. So, you know, you just got to try and gauge it and what you can do. And, yeah. And know yourself. And, yeah. Yeah. One last uh, question uh, that I'd like to ask is um, if you had to 
only bring one item or if you only had one one gadget or thing that you could that you could bring along when you went shower, what what would that be? <laughs> I, I, um, here I am trying to work out this really complex <laughs> logistics for where I'm about to go because I can't survive. It's, it's, there's not just one thing. There's so many things uh, that mean so much. So I don't know. Um, uh, I mean, yeah, I don't know how to answer you with that one of one item. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to think. Is uh, it maybe just your bike? A bike, which bike and how's that bike set up? <laughs> That's the hard thing. Um, yeah, I mean, we can do that, a, a bike, but but then, yeah, it, it's, it's also like the ability to, I don't know, to be able to communicate is a huge thing as well. So cameras are pretty important, but I guess I don't know how to answer one one item. Um, but 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 yeah, sure. If I'm a, it's a cycle expedition, you got to carry maybe, a bike. Maybe your <laughs> mental, maybe your mental strength, even though maybe it's not a physical item, but yeah, that's I, that's I, the I, most. Valuable. Uh, yeah, it sounds sure. like this is one of the most valuable things that that yeah. you have. That wherever you know you're being put, as long as you have that, you. You'll find a way out. Yeah. yeah, you've got to trust yourself, and, and for sure, and um, you know it helps you learn to think objectively when you're under pressure. Uh, so yeah, definitely mental strength is that is my strength. I mean, yes, I'm okay at cycling and all that kind of thing, but I'm not ex exceptional. Exceptional. It's more I know how to uh, how to approach difficult situations and big things and. I like that idea of being able to to find you work your way through work something out and work your way through it, and I only do it in my way. But you, your way might be slightly different, you know. That was Kate Leeming, who was a incredibly inspiring woman, cycling across the world and really tackling the hardest of environments that you can possibly think of the the desert trip sounded horrible <laughs> and greenland didn't sound pleasurable and now antarctica is is the biggest challenge so her new trip to antarctica her new adventure is is going to be over 3000 kilometers of crossing the ice desert and yeah as we've heard she plans on leaving um in in the winter of well in the end of the year 2023 so um that will be the summer in antarctica i have mentioned in the beginning that kate had now come back from a test expedition to antarctica and yes she has come back so uh everything went well and uh, so she actually went from an airstrip to a research station and that took her just under a week and she cycled over 200 kilometers with her all terrain or all wheel bike and she came back with a lot of beautiful pictures so so make sure that you visit her website and blog breaking the cycle dot education and where she talks about in general all her educational projects but specifically has a very nice and detailed account about that short trip to Antarctica that gives you a good impression of how incredibly difficult it will be for her to cross 3,000 kilometers across Antarctica and actually crossing the South Pole by bike being the first person to achieve that. So we are very excited for Kate and of course we're hoping for all the best that she will actually do it and, and as so often it's not only the ambition and the resilience that you need to bring which Kate obviously has an abundance of uh, not that you can ever have enough of it um, but sometimes it's just really practical elements such as uh, funding for this expedition and that's what she's working super hard on right now um, and yeah we just really hope that she can she can make this work and if you have adventures that you want to go on and if you have expeditions and you also lack maybe funding and support, we do have a funding program for a bit smaller expeditions that 
We now launched for the third time this year. An application is still open until the end of April 2023 where on the com, you can apply with your expedition and you not only get monetary funding that then hopefully fuels your expedition and your meaningful adventure, but we also partnered with wonderful companies and uh, companies that support our vision and that support the athletes and the explorers with amazing and high-end gear such as uh, expedition tents, backpacks, um, marine wool clothing, and everything is really suited uh, for your adventure so that, that you can start it in the best way possible. So make sure to visit worldexplorerscollective.com. That's also where you can read all about Kate, all the show notes, everything is on there. And you will definitely find the link to the grant. We will have another episode next week's very very excited about that it will be a great one again and so i hope you stay tuned and thank you so much for listening 